thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Today's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 8 to 17. And it's uh, titled, Suffering for Doing Good. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humbled. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Well, we are continuing this series in 1 Peter. For those of you who may be visiting with us, we're looking through this letter at what Peter has to say to his readers. And just to kind of catch you up, if this is a little bit new for you, Peter is right into a group of uh, Christians who are experiencing some culture shock. Uh, They are native-born immigrants, shall we say. Uh, They haven't moved house. Uh, They haven't changed their language, but they have changed their allegiance from their regular culture and society and have become Christians. Uh, And by following Jesus, they've now started to rub up against uh, the culture shock that that often brings. Uh, Some of their behaviors are a little bit different. Some of the way they do things is different. Their attitudes have changed. Their values have changed. And that's put them in an awkward position in their culture. I reflected last week that, um, you know, for I think many who, who kind of immigrate to another country, they face that, that subtle pressure and sometimes not so subtle pressure to fit in, to be like everyone else, right? to learn the language, to uh, share the values, to do the same sorts of things in the same sorts of ways. And for these believers, they were beginning to experience that kind of pressure. Uh, there were some insults, there were some threats, there were some lots of misunderstanding. People were slandering them, saying that they were no good, that they were subverting our values, that they aren't like us anymore, all of those sorts of things. And Peter's response to this group of believers who are experiencing that pressure is not to kind of withdraw, but instead to, to kind of get out there to actually live such good lives, we looked at last week, uh, amongst those who don't believe, that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they're going to see how good you live, and they'll be forced to kind of eat their words. Um, 
You're going to silence the foolish talk. You're going to kind of pop a, a hole in the balloon of slander because essentially people are going to look at your life and hear the accusations and they're not going to line up. And when an accusation and a life are held together, the life wins, doesn't it? If someone, someone that you really know well has been accused of something and you know that the accusation isn't true in their behavior, their behavior matters, right? Peter says, get out there, live your faith out loud, turn the volume up, be more public in terms of how you follow Jesus. And, and the reason that he does this is essentially because of the power and value of the good news, right? The good news that we have. Um, good news is hard to keep to ourselves, isn't it? Ever something really, really good happened to you? I'm sure you have. And you go to work the next day and you're just looking for an excuse to talk about it, aren't you? Anything anyone mentions, you can get to the thing you wanted to talk about, right? And sometimes you're so, well, it's so evident that people ask questions right off the bat, right? Why are you so happy? It's a Monday morning. Oh, let me tell you, right? Uh, they'll, they'll ask, what, like, what's, what's happened? You know, someone's had a good week or a good night or so, like, what happened, right? Something's happened. Tell me more. And, and when we share the things that have happened to us, whether a, a fantastic experience or a wonderful opportunity, generally speaking, people ask more questions, don't they? Uh, or you learn not to ask questions, right? Nobody asks me about the good news of hockey anymore. I don't know why, right? Uh, there's, but there's something about good news that naturally invites interest and curiosity and more questions. Uh, and, and to some degree, what Peter's urging his readers to do is to, well, take the good news, the, 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 the transformation of Jesus, and live that out in such a way that it will naturally invite questions and comments and interest. This is what he's on about. Uh, and the, the section that we're looking at this morning, the section that Trevor just read for us, continues along in this same kind of vein. He continues to talk about how they should handle uh, the suffering, how they should handle the insults, how they should handle um, the pressure from their society. And it's much the same that we've looked at already, right? Basically, he said, listen, live a good life. Uh, make sure that you have a clear conscience. Make sure that you answer with gentleness and respect. Uh, he says, listen, you've been blessed to be a blessing. Uh, although that he adds a bit to it. He says, you're blessed to be a blessing to those who insult you. That's the bit we tend to drop off our little phrase, right? You're blessed to be a blessing to those who insult you, he says. So make sure that you're a blessing. He said, just live, live good lives. That's the whole deal. But tucked away in the middle of this passage is, is one of those really famous verses out of 1 Peter. If you've been in church for any kind of length of time and uh, you have never read 1 Peter, you may have actually heard this one verse. It's actually in verse 15. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Right? This is kind of the, the verse, right? If you're familiar with anything out of 1 Peter, it'd be something like this. And I remember when I was a much younger man, uh, earlier in my Christian faith, I heard this verse in context of apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the faith, right? So um, apologetic topics included things like the reliability of the New Testament. Uh, is it actually reliable? Can we trust the Bible? Um, uh, the evidence for the resurrection. You know, how do you actually know, given the evidence that we have, that it's reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, or big questions such as, uh, what do we do with suffering or evil in the world, right? And having some kind of uh, an answer, some kind of a response to those sorts of questions is fairly important, isn't it? 
And maybe from time to time, when you've had kind of one of those kind of big, deep, and meaningfuls with someone who's not a believer, some of those things may have come up, particularly the questions around suffering and around evil and those sorts of things. But Peter is not necessarily talking about those really big apologetic issues. Uh, he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. So he didn't really think about the evidence for the resurrection, apart from the fact that he had seen Jesus die, and then he saw Jesus alive again, and that was enough for him. Uh, he's not thinking about the reliability of the New Testament, because he is writing the New Testament as he went along, right? He knows he wrote First Peter, and yes, it's all good, right? Uh, and he would have a very different answer, I think, to some of the questions around suffering and around evil. It seems that what Peter is getting at here, in, in the context, is not about having answers to those big questions, as valuable as that is. But it's actually about being able to answer questions about your everyday life as a follower of Jesus. And the questions that come from, if you, know, if you go back to chapter 2, you know, from a, a Christian slave who is working for a harsh and inconsiderate master and yet does as best they can to show respect and honor them. Well, we might not be familiar with the concept of slavery in our own lives, but you can see the relationship, can't you? Uh, if we were to be people who, in our workplaces, right, who are constantly belittled by someone else and who always respond by being a blessing to them, who will not put up with malicious gossip or slander against that person, who will always defend and back them up even though they never do the same for us, that kind of stuff's going to lead to questions, isn't it? Someone's eventually going to ask, why do you respond that way? What's going on with that? Uh, it's, the, it's the background between you know, listening to taking, insult, taking insults and responding in a positive way, not just in silence. It's all of the Christian life. It's the everyday aspects of life. Uh, and, and how we live our lives as followers of Jesus ought to invite curiosity. It ought to invite questions. And it's those everyday questions that we need to have answers to. It's the questions about why we pray about why we read the Bible, about why we go to church, about why we seek to be as honest as we can be in all of our interactions, about why we do business the way we do, about why we raise our kids the way we raise our kids. It's about, it's about all of those sorts of very everyday sorts of things. That's the, those are the questions. If someone asks you about suffering, be ready for that. But are you ready if someone asks you why you have the Bible app on your phone? Are you ready for that? And, and, and actually, if you're like me, I don't think we are. I grew up in a Christian family. I've kind of been in church my whole life. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff that I do because that's what you do, which is a dumb answer if someone asks why. Why do you read the Bible? Because you just do. That's not compelling, is it? Why do you go to church? They pay me to be there. Right? <laughs> Not a great answer, is it? And it only applies to a few of us as well. Like, like, why do you pray? Well, just, you know, you do. Remember in, uh, in school, uh, do you remember ever doing those little kind of, there were two column quizzes. It's probably a more technical name, but I'm not a teacher. On one hand, you'd have all the, the words. And on the other hand, jumbled up, you'd have the definitions of the words. And your task in the time allotted you was to connect the word with the definition, right? And they were never right across from each other, right? So you'd have to make the line and you connected the dots until you had them all lined up. You remember those sorts of quizzes? I, I reckon that for many of us, our, our, Christ, our, sorry, our regular everyday life is on one hand. 
And the things that we believe uh, and the examples that were said and the, the things that we know about faith are on the other, but I'm not sure that we've actually done the thinking to connect those things up. There's probably a whole bunch of stuff that we do that is connected to what we believe, but we've never actually done the hard work to really figure that out. And, and so I'd like to give you a few categories this morning to help you kind of think about it a little bit. Because the first the first step to being able to give an answer for the reason why we do things is to actually have thought about the reason why we do things. You've ever, have you ever joined a new organization, a new school, a new company, uh, and you've asked the question, why do we do this this way? And people get really offended because we've always done it that way, right? Uh, or have you, ever been, have you ever been the one who's hired someone new and they've asked that awkward question and you're like... <laughs> Just, that's just the way it's done around here. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, well, that's enough of pointing it out, right? Uh, we, we sometimes do things without having thought about the reasons. And once we identify the reasons why we do things, that will help us give an answer. Uh, these categories come from, uh, it's actually a preaching book. It's called Putting the Truth to Work by a scholar named Daniel Doriani. I won't kind of give you the whole framework, but it's a book on application. Essentially, how do you take what you read in Scripture and actually ground it in, in, in your life in some way, shape, or form? Uh, and he talks about a whole series of sources of, of application, a whole group of areas, a whole group of places where we can actually think about the connection to our real life. So let me give you a, a couple. Let me start with doctrine, things that we believe, right? things that we believe and the impact they have on our lives. So we believe lots of stuff as, as Christians, right? We believe things about God. We believe things about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the church, about the Bible. Uh, we also believe a whole bunch of stuff about us. And the important thing about understanding what we believe is recognizing how it shapes the way in which we look at our world and understand what's taking place. So... Um, there's been uh, another Royal Commission wrapped around the banking industry, right? And uh, I don't know what all the recommendations are. I'm not actually all that interested, really. But a bunch of them is probably going to be wrapped around greater regulation around uh, those institutions, right? Because there's been a problem, uh, and uh, that problem needs to be regulated. Uh, or there are issues in the world, you know, you think about issues like HIV AIDS or whatnot, and part of the solution is about education. Uh, and education and regulation or reform has a place to play, doesn't it? But as Christians, we actually believe something else, don't we? We actually believe in the personal power of sin in our lives, don't we? So what's the real problem in the banking industry, for instance? Is it there's not enough regulation? Or is it that you just can't regulate greed out of people? Well, that's a very different way to see the problem, isn't it? Now, regulation might certainly help, but you know what? You're never going to regulate greed out of people's lives. Education is really helpful. Like, it's really helpful in bringing change. But you're never going to be able to educate selfishness or self-centeredness or envy out of people's lives. We actually believe, because we believe something about the brokenness of sin, that that's part of the reason why there's brokenness in our world. And that belief translates into how we understand the world. So we may very well educate and regulate and reform, but there's more going on as far as we're concerned. Our belief about who we are, created in the image of God, has implications, as, as we've talked, for how we think about multiculturalism, for instance, uh, how we think about men and women, how we think about aging. All of those things are, are wrapped up by our beliefs, and they shape the way we view the world, or they should. 
But so often we've got a whole set of beliefs and we haven't done the work to kind of go, so how does this belief help me discern what's going on in my world? That's the, that's the value of thinking through what we believe. How does it change the way we view the world? Another category is wrapped around rules, right? Which is what we often assume the Bible's all about. It's just a whole bunch of rules. Not entirely true, to tell you the truth, right? Uh, but we believe that there are rules. There are commands that are given to us. And those commands are not just there to form, form some sort of legalistic list of stuff that we have to do. They're actually there to shape our character. So, so the commands about being honest, right? The commands about being honest are not there just for us to be people who don't tell lies. They're actually there to shape us in a way that allows us to become truly honest people, to shape our character. And so there's a whole question about the kinds of people that we actually want to become. It's not as if we really desperately want to be deceitful. We want to lie, but the rules tell me I have to tell the truth. That's not faith, is it? We follow Jesus because we actually believe the best way to live is to be honest. And therefore, the rules are not just about do's and don'ts. They're actually things that shape our character. And there's a third category, which are examples. You know, Jesus served his disciples and then said, do likewise. Now, you could say that that's a command. He kind of commands us to serve, and that's true. But ultimately, Jesus gives us his own personal example, doesn't he? And that shapes the sorts of things that we do. You know, the bracelets have kind of fallen out of favor, but the WWJD, right, has sunk into Christian culture, hasn't it? What would Jesus do? And while that's not the only answer to any of our ethical dilemmas, it's certainly a helpful place to start, isn't it? To actually consider what Jesus would do and to emulate his example. And now all of a sudden, theoretically, if we do some of the thinking between everything we do in our day-to-day -day lives and where what we believe and the commands that we've been given and the examples that have been set show up in our life, we have reasons for why we do things. I mean, why do we read the Bible? Well, we, we read the Bible because we believe that it's the Word of God and that in that Word we are, we are shown His will his plans that we are invited to participate in. It's kind of helpful to be able to pick what God's doing. We don't read the Bible because we have to. We don't read the Bible because there's some sort of, you know, my pastor told me I had to. We read it because, well, it's the Word of God. Why do we pray? Have you asked that question? Why do we pray? Well, we pray because we believe something about God, don't we? That He listens to us, which is a remarkable thing. And not only that he listens to us, but that our prayers in some way, shape, or form that is a complete and utter mystery to me, moves the hand of God in particular ways. That God is active in our world in big ways and in little ways, and that we are invited to participate through prayer. All of a sudden, we begin to think through the reasons why we do things. So if people ask us, we're prepared to give a reason for the hope we have everyday questions about our everyday lives, about why we parent the way we do, about the practices that we are engaged in, about why we go to church, about all of those sorts of things, right? And, and the, more, the more we've done the thinking, the more we've kind of done a little bit of work to kind of connect the dots, right, the better off we are. 
Because not only do we have a reason then for why we do things, but we also can identify some aspects of our lives that have no reason. Aspects of our lives where we've just done things like everyone else has done, but in reality, when we start to think about it, the things that we believe about Jesus and about God and about the world actually don't support the behavior. Or the commands and ideals don't actually support the behavior. Or what we're doing or how we're viewing things is completely disconnected from our faith. Which invites us into another space where we can ask Jesus to transform our lives. To change us, to conform us more and more into his likeness, into his appearance, into his view of humanity. These are the values of actually beginning to ask these questions. And and so while it's valuable to have you know, uh, the answers for the big questions. Do you have answers for the little questions? Uh, and, and And is your life, in terms of Peter's language, is the volume turned up enough for people to notice the things that you do that are connected to your faith? You see, I think sometimes we're afraid that people are going to ask us questions because we don't know the answer to them, right? I remember when I was younger, we, uh, I was part of this, it was a yearly conference. We'd go off, we'd get kind of trained and equipped up. We went to Chicago a number of years, and then you just go out into the city, and you basically go up to people and try to have a conversation about faith with them. Holy, totally confronting, both for them and for me, right? And, and the greatest fear was, they're going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. And there are lots of questions, and I didn't have nearly enough answers, right? And yet that idea of not knowing the answer can actually hold us back. Do you have answers for the everyday reality of your faith? Start there. Work your way up to the answers about suffering and evil in the world. But start with why you go to church and why you raise your kids the way they do. Because remember, you know, what, we've talked about this before. What we're doing here as a community of faith is not the main game, right? This isn't the main game. This is not the whole point. The whole point is not to all get to church, right? It's an important part of what we do, but it's not the main game. This is half time, remember? Because the mission of God, while he's doing work in our lives, the mission of God is out there, right? The mission of God is primarily out there. And we've all been sent out there. And we come in here, and this is the halftime pep talk, right? I said in the morning, we should have like orange slices for morning tea every week, just to remind you, this is is half time. And then, after we talk a little bit about what's going well and about what's hard, and we get some equipping, and just off we go into the, well, maybe not this next half, the next quarter or whatever, whatever millionth part of this whole debate we're involved in, right? But this is part and parcel of what we're called to, to have a reason for the hope that we have and how it actually makes a difference in our day-to-day lives. And this is all part of Peter's ongoing desire to encourage us to live our faith ever more out loud, in public, in ways that people notice, that invites curiosity that invites questions. So we need to always be prepared to give that answer for the reason and the hope that we have in Jesus. I'm going to invite Chandri up. Uh, She's going to lead us in a time of response. We've been trying to do this over the last couple of months of just trying not to just leave uh, us kind of hanging, but actually think about a bit of a response. And the team's going to join us uh, as uh, we wrap our service up. Thanks, Chandri. As our worship team come, they'll... They'll begin to play for us, but not lead us in song just yet. As we take a moment to get specific for our own lives, we've been given some great examples this morning of ways in which we can look different. 
and curious to our friends and in our workplaces. And I want to encourage you right now to take a moment. Um, we, we won't begin singing until we've just given you a moment to think of an example in your life. We'd like to feel confident that you have an answer. And for some of us, this example might be somewhere where you've been asked a question already before. And you realise that you weren't content with the answer that you had to give. Maybe you've been asked why you always abstain from gossip in the friendship circle. Why you're generous. Why you attend church on a Sunday and you found you froze. Or gave an answer that wasn't very compelling. (laughs) Maybe you haven't been confronted with one of those questions. But take a moment now to think of one example in your life of an area where you'd like to be able to confidently give an answer for the hope that you have.